What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is the CIO and co-founder of Valkyrie Investments. One of the most talked about subjects in the crypto space is the possibility of a Bitcoin ETF. As of now, an ETF has yet to be approved, but that hasn't stopped numerous organizations and firms from submitting their own proposals. In the race to be the first to get it done right, Valkyrie is a major contender. I can't wait to learn more about what an ETF would mean for the crypto market and overall institutional involvement. And there's nobody better to answer this question than Stephen McClurg. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. So once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. This show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like the podcast, follow me on Twitter and check out my website, join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. This episode is sponsored by Voyager and Sovereign. Stay tuned for more information on both later in the episode. So as I touched on in the introduction, obviously, the ETF has become the holy grail of crypto. Why is an ETF so important at the most basic level? Yeah, an, an ETF really, uh, what it does is get more institutional involvement in the asset of, uh, of, of Bitcoin. So there's a lot of restrictions on many institutions on what they can and can't own. Uh, whether it's a pension fund, a insurance company, or, or even hedge funds that service uh, many institutional clients. Uh, most of them have to have a qualified custodian uh, that's, that's holding its assets and a structure that they're both familiar with and can invest in from a regulatory perspective. So basically it's a gateway to big money. <laughs> that's exactly right. Gateway to big money. That's, that's, um, that's the easiest way to put it. All right, so we, we all know why it's important. Why haven't we seen one yet? Obviously we've seen ETFs for everything except for crypto, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, may, maybe what I'll do, if you don't mind, Scott, is kind of rewind back in time. And, 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 and this is more of my timeline and when I was building and launching and, and managing ETFs uh, in my previous life uh, in financial services. Um, I, I was involved in a, in, a, in a firm that did very esoteric type of money management. Um, I was managing, you know, emerging markets, uh, structured credits, uh, uh, you know, different types of uh, securities that not the average investor was, was dealing with. Not, not, not too different than Bitcoin now and, and, and over the last few years. Uh, but, you know, let's take, you know, aircraft bonds, for instance, uh, aircraft receivables. Uh, that's something that a lot of people actually haven't heard of. Uh, when you when you when you look at Delta Airlines, you think, oh, okay, I'm going to buy a Delta Airlines bond, and uh, if something goes wrong, then there's all these airplanes and engines and and, and shops and materials out there uh, that I get access to. Well, it's actually not true, and a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, what companies like Delta and American Airlines and United do is they take their aircraft and they put it into a bankrupt remote vehicle and then issue bonds against that that's completely backed by the aircraft itself, uh, removing it from the inventory of Delta and then they lease it back to say Delta Airlines. Um, and those bonds are called aircraft uh, receivables or, or asset-backed securities. Uh, they're actually very highly rated, they're, they're, they're very good, but uh, I wanna say about eight years ago, um, I was involved in trying to put those particular asset-backed securities into an ETF structure. And you think, oh, okay, these are high quality assets. It's easy to do. Well, it took five years for the SEC 
to tell us that we could we could do it, but we had to limit our exposure to up to 15%. And granted, these are triple A or some in some cases single A bonds that we only had a limited access to. So, so given that kind of background and history, uh, when when people started first buying Bitcoin ETFs, I thought oh, it'll never happen. I mean, just just dealing with trying to get triple A's and and other investment grade bonds into an ETF was was nearly impossible. Uh, but things have changed. You know, it took it took five years. We finally got it done. Um, there's a lot of other type of esoteric structures that have gone in there. Um, if you asked me two years ago, I would have said the, the SEC would never approve a Bitcoin ETF. I think things have changed a lot in the last year. What are those things that have changed? Well, number one is, is custody. Um, you know, the SEC was extremely concerned about um, security and potential fraud at uh, exchanges and at um, uh, custodians for Bitcoin. And with good reason. Uh, in 2017, we saw a big run up in, uh, in this asset class, but then we also saw money disappearing. Uh, uh, almost, almost every week, there was news of some exchange in Canada or Korea or China right. or somewhere else, or even in the US where uh, people have their, 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 their money in it. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's gone. We forgot our keys or the founder died and he had all the keys and maybe he's still alive, but it is back and gone somewhere else. Uh, so there was a lot of concerns there. Uh, fortunately, uh, a few really big players have, have, have stepped up their game and have gotten into this asset class. And really in the last year, uh, it's, I would call it a renaissance of, of these crypto exchanges becoming very similar to what we're used to in the institutional side of, of third parties holding things like bonds and, and equities. Um, you know, Coinbase is a really good example. They've, they've become very institutionalized and have really focused on their institutional business. Uh, Anchorage um, has done a great job of, you know, first class uh, security. Um, you know, Gemini has done a great job. Fidelity has gotten into the space and it's a name that people are, are you know, familiar with. So, so, yeah, the institutionalization of a custody has, has gotten regulators a lot more comfortable. So it's largely about security. They just basically can't back something unless they know that the funds can't be stolen and that investors are safe. At the end of the day, it's their job to protect us from ourselves <laughs> and bad actors, right? Yeah. So, but it's interesting. You, you said it was so difficult in the past, uh, even in your experience with, you know, less nascent assets and things that obviously had already been rated and were more understood. So we have the custody now, You've gone full circle, right? I mean, you're you're now trying to do it yourself. So, uh, what yeah. changed for you besides just obviously the, the custody? Yeah, I mean, custody and security was really a big factor. Uh, it's it's one of three things that I was really looking for. Um, the second one is uh, is is really the liquidity. Um, even though uh, we had quite a run up in 2017, we you know. Bitcoin hit 20,000 back then, uh, or, or January of 2018, uh, and then came down quite a bit. Uh, the liquidity still wasn't quite there. Um, you know, a lot of it was traded OTC, which is what I'm familiar with trading bonds in my past life. Uh, but um, but there wasn't a whole lot of of supply for the amount of demand that we would need to see for you know real creation redemptions in an ETF like structure. Um, 
with a lot more players stepping in and a lot more exchanges coming about, oddly, that's actually a really good thing. Uh, the more exchanges, they're high quality. Uh, the liquidity has increased significantly, uh, as well as, uh, as as well as great institutional uh, players stepping in and 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 making OTC trades, uh, whether it's you know Susquehanna or Jump or DRW or um, um, uh, consolidated trading. Uh, these are all high quality traders in various asset classes that are that are trading Bitcoin. So uh, it's it's really created a lot more liquidity. And then, of course, the growth of, of market cap just in the last six months, uh, or, or really in the last two months. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, we've, we 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 finally got to a market cap to where uh, there's enough market cap for liquidity. Um, in, in an ETF, for instance, you don't see a whole lot of ETFs that hold uh, micro cap equities uh, right. because of the liquidity constraints. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, the SEC has a restriction uh, on the amount of illiquid securities that can be in an ETF. It's a, it's a restriction at 15%. And I would actually argue that Bitcoin would have fallen under that level two uh, liquidity type, type structure uh, as well, uh, even a year ago. I, I feel like Bitcoin may have surpassed that and is really now a very, a uh, much more of a liquid asset. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it begs the question because even in 2017, we were already hearing about rejections of ETF applications. Was it just a pipe dream for people that were trying to do it then? Because it seems like they were way too early and anyone with a background in structuring these products would have understood that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, a few people were just early, uh, and and by the way, it's good to be early. Um, sure, it's helped people like us. It's helped. It's 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 going to help others that are that are trying to do this as well, uh, to at least start the conversation. So, um, I certainly applaud the people that tried. Um, you know, uh, Gemini is a good example. SolidX, uh, Van Neck has really been a. Um, uh, a trailblazer in trying to get this done. And, and Van Eck, by the way, you know, Jan has a lot of experience in, um, in commodities, right? You know, uh, is really an expert when it comes to gold and putting, putting structures like gold into an ETF. So, so these guys are really, have been, have been trailblazers, uh, but, uh, but no, I think now is really the time. I, I, I don't think that we're gonna get one approved tomorrow, but um, I definitely feel like it's under three years, if not better than that. I'd like to think 2021, but maybe I'm uh, a bit overly ambitious. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a former bond trader. I'm, I'm always very negative on everything. Set, set, set the bar low and always be uh, pleased rather than disappointed, <laughs> I guess. Exactly. Um, so that begs the question. We've seen other products emerge in the absence of an ETF, obviously. None, none more notable than um, you know, GBTC, the Grayscale Trust. Um, can you talk about why those trusts are attractive in the absence of an ETF? Yeah. Well, well really what's, what's great about those trusts uh, until, until an ETF uh, arrives in the scene is that it's, a, it's at least closer to a structure that a lot of institutional players are used to. Um, it feels a lot more like a, a closed-in fund structure. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about closed-in funds. There's, there's two different types. 
most people in private equity or, or, or venture, when they hear closed in fund, they think of a closed in private fund. Um, uh, I'm talking about a closed in mutual fund. So, so a mutual fund that, 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 that's, that's closed ended that you can actually list on New York Stock Exchange. Right. Um, and, and a trust it feels a lot more like a closed in fund, uh, which is um, actually a structure that a lot of pensions invest in. Um, you know, pensions are, are, are very familiar with the structure. Uh, they can get behind it. They, um, you know, uh, you, you hold all your assets in a third party custody, just like you do in any kind of, you know, mutual fund. Uh, it, it trades OTC. Uh, and by the way, one of the reasons why it doesn't trade on a national exchange is because one of the restrictions is, is the liquidity restriction from the SEC, which is why it can't, and SEC, um, you know, regulates national exchanges or FINRA regulates OTC. So uh, that's, that's why they trade OTC. Uh, but, but, but it is, it is very familiar. You know, you, you, you have the, you have the, the trust structure that you invest in so that you can hold the sponsor of the trust liable if anything happens. And then you can also hold the third party custody liable in case anything happens, right? That could be, you know, losing keys or transferring money to the wrong account or hack you know, or yeah. hack in, in any of those things, right? And, and, and a couple of these guys like, you know, Coinbase and Gemini, you know, they have insurance on their, on their custody holdings on the institutional side. So if there was a problem, uh, they, they, they do have a backing in insurance. So you have to be careful there, though. That, that makes sense. So obviously, it's, it's just a familiar way for a lot of people to purchase something, right? And even you're talking about on the institutional side, for your average retail person who says, maybe I want some exposure to Bitcoin, I want to put it in my IRA, something like that. They see GBDC ticker. They don't need to even understand what a trust is or what it is. They think they're kind of buying Bitcoin and putting it in their IRA and moving on with their life, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And by the way, I've done it too. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. a third of my IRA is in GBTC, still is same. today, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> same, which is interesting because both of us know how to buy Bitcoin. We know how to secure Bitcoin and we know that we're paying a premium um, to hold GBTC. So the idea of the trust is one thing, but the actual structure of that product or any other product is very different. And there's been a lot of criticism of GBTC, of course, by people who understand that you are paying this huge premium for the right to buy it and hold it in a manner that you're familiar with. So can you talk about that premium, why it trades so high over NAV and, and what's going on there? Yeah. And maybe what I'll do is back up to again, you know. I love it when you back up. <laughs> you know, related back to what I'm familiar with and what a lot of uh, investors are familiar with, and that's the closed end fund structure. So when you have a closed ended mutual fund, and and I've managed a few of these uh, in the past, uh, you you typically trade at either a premium or a discount because it is closed ended. And what that means is, uh, you can sometimes create new units. Uh, and then the case of GBTC, you can always create new units as long as the uh, window's open, uh, but you can't always redeem. So if you have an asset class that's sitting in a trust that's actually has more demand than supply or a yield in, in terms of bond that's really hard to get anymore, then it'll trade at a premium. Uh, if it's something that is the opposite, a yield that's really low or something that's a little bit less desirable or something that has ample supply, it, it often trades at a discount. 
um, you know, and, and, and maybe I'll give a good example of this. Um, uh, there was a there was a closed in fund that, uh, you know, that I was involved in okay, 10 years ago. And during 2009, 2010, we bought up a ton of asset backed securities and, uh, and other high yielding assets that were yielding very high at the time at very low discounted prices. And then when the markets turned around after the, uh, after the Great Recession, uh, we were getting yields that were well above what the market yields were because interest rates had dropped. So the, the fund itself was trading at nine to sometimes 12% premiums uh, just because it had a very highly desirable asset, high quality, high yield. Uh, typically, uh, closed-in funds that hold you know, straight equities uh, or even you know, lower-yielding bonds like munis uh, will trade it anywhere between a 3 to call it 10% discount. Uh, in the case of the Grayscale Trust, uh, it, you know, Bitcoin, in my opinion, it, it, it feels a little bit more like a bond, but a hard-to-get bond. It's something that you know, the average person just can't, you know, you can't just go and, and buy them. You know, you have to buy an ETF that holds bonds, uh, but you're not going to call up uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, someone on their bond desk and say, hey, I've got $100 to spend. Uh, will you sell me a bond? Right. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, you know. Um, so, so Bitcoin is kind of the same thing. You know, you're not going to call up one of the OTC desks and say, hey, you know, I want to trade, you know, $1,000, $10,000. You know, you're going to have to log into a Coinbase or Gemini account and trade it yourself. And, uh, and uh, where, where it's slightly thinner markets than, than, than OTC. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot more demand for the supply. And if you wanna buy it in your IRA, it's your, it's your only option, right? right. And uh, so it's always gonna trade at a premium because people are constantly wanting it in their IRA because it really is the only thing available. But you give an example of like this excessive nine to 12% premium that you've seen in the past, but we've seen their products go hundreds of percent premium. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Why does yeah, that I don't, happen? I don't know where it is today. I mean, it's, it's surely. Right. right. But certainly with the, the Litecoin product and the, I mean, you know, now they're dissolving, I guess, the Ripple product, the Ethereum product, we've seen some pretty insane premiums. So, I mean, how does that happen? And it's funny because you think of this as the safe and regulated instrument. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. Well, and, and it does go with market cap too. If you, if, you, if you notice the premium goes up as the market cap goes down. So that, that just explains this, you know, supply demand dynamic, right? Uh, Bitcoin is going to be a lot, lot, lot less of a premium than say Litecoin or, you know, Ethereum is going to be somewhere in the middle, but it is, it's, it's, it's all supply and demand. And, um, and I mean, I, I've, I've never seen a closed in fund, a closed in mutual fund product, no matter how good it is, trade at the kind of premiums that uh, the Grayscale products trade at. It's, it's really unbelievable. But is that because is, is that because they're the only one and they can do it? I mean, I know that you're going to compete, and I know that others are as well. I mean, I guess we could talk specifically more about what uh, you know Valkyrie is looking to do, obviously, because I know it's a blend of both ETF and trust products. Um, you know, how, how how can that premium be somewhat fixed? I know that obviously you can't always have it trading at zero, but uh, you know, how can you at least make it manageable, especially when you're seeing hundred percent, you know, premiums? Yeah. I mean, really the way, the, really the way to offer, well, discounts are very easily solvable by giving redemptions, right? So if you're ever trading at a discount, you, you've got an arbitrage play uh, anytime you offer redemptions. 
the best way actually to solve for high premiums is to um, do more creations or, or sell more units. And as you can see it, at certain times, Grayscale has shut off its creation sure. for the time and let that premium get back up again. And then it, then it sells back into it. Uh, so, so really, I think the best way to manage it is just to offer constant, um, you know, constant availability of the, uh, of the underlying, but, you know, that is, you know, at, at times that's going to be kind of restricted by the, uh, by the supply. Um, I don't know if you saw the Morgan Stanley, um, was it the Morgan Stanley report that came up this morning, uh, that said, you know, they basically said that, uh, you know, Bitcoin is at the peak of you know the supply demand curve meaning it's it's one of the most overbought assets at the moment well sure this yeah why uh, actually uh i read today that um long bitcoin is the most crowded trade on wall street now uh even even more so than long tech which is absurd when you think about you know the fang stocks run that we've seen this year basically i mean facebook apple google carrying the entire market, you know, yeah. up uh, there's recession and it's even a more crowded trade now on Bitcoin, which means there really just is a, you know, lack of supply at this point, clearly. But, but, and to speak to Grayscale, it also just came out that this month they have bought 1.9 times, I believe, what's being mined. So we know that uh, everybody who can get their hands on supplies is trying to do that. I think that happened in a day, actually. Um, exactly. But, it's interesting. They're doing this, but the ETF, if we believe that's going to be approved, in my mind, would effectively end their trust, right? I mean, like an ETF is the trust destroyer. It is. That's Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the reason why is because uh, the way the ETFs work, uh, you have to work through a third-party um, uh, authorized participant a third-party designated market maker, and and what these what these third parties do is they're constantly trading and finding arbitrage, uh, and the arbitrage that they're finding is by either redeeming or creating baskets, uh, and 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 creating shares or or, or redeeming shares, uh, uh, depending on what the supply demand curve is, and that essentially keeps ETFs very very close to NAV without trading at too much of a premium discount on either side. Uh, the only way that that doesn't work is when you have uh, underlying assets that are extremely illiquid, which by the way, that's why the SEC limits it to- Which 15. they won't allow, right, which they're not gonna allow anyways. But so what happens to, you know, I, your basic person is holding GPDC and, you know, an ETF is created and they have this entire, you know, exploding ballooning business. What does that look like? It means that it means that the uh, premium is going to collapse, right? Um, plain and simple. Um, it may not collapse all the way to zero, but it'll get it'll get it'll stay under ten. Um, and and by the way, uh, you know anybody that has 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 come in at a very high premium, the ETH product. Let's 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 talk about that for a moment. Uh, you know the ETH product was trading at you know one hundred percent premium and yeah. higher. So if you bought if you had bought that. And then there was a, an ETF that came along, you'd lose half your money. Just, just, right, right just, just getting back to the correct price. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, you could do that anyway. I mean, at any time, a premium like that could collapse and, and it did, right. I mean, it collapsed from like 120 to 80 overnight on, on one day. 
Discover BPRO, a token created by Money on Chain that allows you to earn a rent on Bitcoin positions and gain free leverage. With MOC liquidity mining, BPRO holders also get MOCs every day. So yes, with a Bitcoin on steroids like BPRO, DeFi is definitely for Bitcoiners. Learn more about BPRO at www.moneyonchain.com wolf. Sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and is 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 50 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering up to 6.5 APR on Bitcoin and up to 9.5% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, up to 9.5%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's scott two five. The existence of that premium and that arbitrage opportunity has been one of the biggest trades in crypto, right? I mean, there's there's an incentive to maintain that crazy premium because your accredited investors come in, they wait their lockup time, and then they sell on the open market for a huge premium. I I mean, someone was telling me that recently they were, they're an accredited investor and they were doing the Litecoin, you know, uh, participating in the Litecoin trust. And basically, I believe it was a six month lockup, but as long as Litecoin didn't go down 90% in in six months, they were not, they were guaranteed not to lose their money just because of the structure of it and the premium. So who wouldn't take that trade? No, nobody would. I mean, it's, well, and, and let's take a look at the ETF for a minute, right? Um, when I said a Bitcoin ETF might be very soon, right? In under three years, probably probably one and a half. Uh, it's going to be a long time before you're going to see a Litecoin in, huh. in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an Ethereum ETF. You know, there's a, there's a lot more wood to chop to get there. So um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's still a good trade. Yeah, it's just a matter. I mean, at that point, you just the market cap is so far from from being sizable enough, sort of, as you said. And I think there's a lot of other products that we're seeing being talked about. I know that uh, you know they're talking about a basket uh, index uh, for the S and P uh, of like top ten or top fifty currencies. Where do you think those sort of fall in the uh, institutional interest, and and you know, as far as People having something that they're more familiar, comfortable trading. <laughs> I actually think that products like that are for people that have no idea what they're buying. I I agree because, like, I mean, why would I want XRP in my index right now? Yeah, it's, why would I buy exactly that? Right? right, and then once you get past like the first five or six, it becomes really the wild west in crypto. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend any of the existing index products to anybody. Um, one of my biggest issues with with all of the index products that are that are that are more prominent that are out there is that it holds something like you know it'll hold Bitcoin, it'll hold Ethereum, it'll hold XRP, uh, Litecoin, and, and when you start looking at what all of those are, I mean, really, we just described. In four tickers, we just described really three different types of crypto assets that have nothing to do with each other, in, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. You know, Litecoin, uh, that's a cryptocurrency, as is Dash or Zcash. Uh, they're, 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 they're meant for global peer-to-peer transactions, right? Um, Ethereum and 
and, and, and other, you know, layer one protocols are really meant for, you know, self-contained dApps. Uh, and they and they're and they're and they're used in very different ways. Uh, they're 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 actually more similar to data charges on a network than anything else. Uh, and then you have XRP. I mean, who, who even knows what that is? Um, you know, I, I just call it Ripple, um, which which upsets a lot of people. But I think it's a security. It's not- <laughs> I think we're going to find that out. But yeah. <laughs> it's a security. That's what it does. I don't know, but I think we're going to find out that it's a security. <laughs> Yeah, um, it to say anything until you know we, we we find out exactly what it is. Sure, I've, I've never I've never owned it. I've I've never touched it. Which which makes sense. So you guys sort of have a novel approach, which is to focus on both ETFs and trusts, knowing that if you just did a trust, the ATF could ruin your business, and if you just do an ETF and it doesn't get approved, you don't have anything, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's a, so yeah, it's so brilliant. Is anyone else doing that? I I just haven't seen that elsewhere. Seems like people are all in in one direction. Yeah, I haven't really seen that either. So uh, I'm not aware of anybody else doing that. And I guess it's just we're just a little bit more pragmatic. Um, uh, but but by the way, I also like diversifying the the types of of wrappers, right? So um, you know, in 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 my past, I've been you know I've done the exact same strategies in an ETF and a closed in fund and a mutual fund and a USITS. Uh, in a in a private hedge fund, and you know there's there's all these great wrappers that you can put it in that 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 different types of people can and can't buy. It's like okay, you create a strategy that's scalable, and you throw it in seven different wrappers. Who cares about the wrapper? Let's focus on the strategy itself. So so I think that's really our approach is you know just 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 putting it in various wrappers, and 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 we have a singular approach uh, in in managing it, uh, as opposed to most people that specialize in a wrapper. And, and know that wrapper really well. And, and that's where they're gonna focus and do several different strategies in that. So then I have to assume that the name of the game is just raising funds, right? I mean, for, because I mean, obviously we're seeing each week that goes by, you see another person announcing some sort of fund or some sort of ETF. So it becomes in my mind, sort of a, a race to who can create a decent product, but then raise the most money. I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and look, previously in the crypto space, uh, whether you have a hedge fund or any, any other type of fund, you know, singular asset fund, what most people have done is, is pursued individuals and family offices. And that's a, that's a great strategy when you're, when you're getting an asset class off the ground. Um, but really what we're focused on is the true institutional space, um, you know, not, you know, not, 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 not family offices, not individuals, uh, even though we're taking them, obviously. Uh, but we're really focused on, you know, setting up something that is usable for, uh, you know, insurance, uh, pensions, trust, endowments, and even large wirehouses to uh, go on their platform. That that really is the goal for us. Yeah, it's funny because we hear about institutional adoption in crypto certainly have been for like three years. It was always like, oh, the institutions are here, 2016. <laughs> the institutions are here. But it's sort of what you're talking about. Crypto focused hedge funds, family offices, those count as institutions, but they're really not the institutional adoption that people are talking about. Um, it's interesting you talked about, you know, the ETF becoming possible because the market cap has reached a certain point and there's there's more liquidity. How big does the market have, cap have to become to see the Apples and the Googles and the Facebooks start talk, talking about Bitcoin as a treasury asset and not just the micro strategies and squares? 
That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and, and, and by the way, uh, we, we keep a portion of our treasury in Bitcoin as well, FYI. Um, uh, we, we, think it's, we think it's very important and, and we believe in the asset class and we believe in the, um, you know, the degradation of the dollar and, 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 and other currencies. Uh, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of the other companies are really gonna catch on, especially global companies. Um, you know, I think, I think MicroStrategy was a bit of an anomaly. They, they kind of, you know, saw the light and were like, oh, okay, this is, this is really interesting and, and the trade worked for them. Um, I actually think that Tesla is going to be one of the next ones uh, to accept Bitcoin for, for cars and, um, and to um, start holding it on the balance sheet. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll say this publicly right now, if, um, if Tesla decides to, uh, allow you to buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, I will buy a new Tesla. Just, you know, I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, and I think a lot of other people would too. I bought uh, one last week and they did not accept Bitcoin. Actually, <laughs> I'm waiting, it hasn't arrived yet, but uh, it was actually a, it was a point of conversation. It's hard though, because then you have the taxable transaction of uh, selling your Bitcoin to buy it. So it, it becomes a lot more aggressive than it sounds. But if we lived in a reasonable place in a vacuum where you, you know, didn't have to pay taxes on, uh, the Bitcoin for buying a car, I, I, I would have done the same. Yeah. And by the way, there's a lot of other companies that are taking Bitcoin right now. Uh, you know, open up your, your backed app or your Gemini app. And there's like 10 places where you can, where you can buy, you know, buy Bitcoin. And, and by the way, when Bitcoin is trading sideways, that's typically when people start thinking about that. Right. They're like, okay, right. if it's going straight up. They don't want to buy something with it. It's yeah. like, I'm going to pay twice as much for that car in one month. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is the feeling there. But so it was interesting because MicroStrategy, I mean, it's such an anomaly, like you said, as amazing as it is. I mean, we're talking about someone who spent hundreds of millions of dollars with a market cap of the whole company of a few billion. I think then you see Square, which I'm not sure right now, but that's like a 90 or 100 billion market cap company. And they bought 50 million worth for their treasury, right? So they bought yeah. a tenth as much and their company's 20 times as big, or you know, roughly. I think that's more in line of what we'll likely see from companies that want to start uh, gaining exposure as a treasury asset. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be many people out there like MicroStrategy. But they're good, but- uh, I love it. it. Really shocking, really shocking. Um, well, I don't know, there, there, there might be other cases. And, and, and if you look at it, um, you know, when, when the market is like it is, where all asset prices are going straight up, right? Any, any, any kind of equities and, and tech companies are earning money hand over fist, you have to do something with that cash. And you either invest it in further operations or you invest it in bonds over here that yield you nothing or you, you, you invest in something, but nobody wants to just sit on cash. So uh, I think as certain tech companies are you know, bringing in dollars, their stock prices are going straight up. They really don't want to buy back their own stock. Uh, oddly, Bitcoin makes a lot of sense. You know? It does. Michael strategy has, I, micro strategy has made that case. I mean, Michael Saylor's made that case. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you should be doing. And, and by the way, issuing convertible notes that yield nothing, that means you have to pay nothing in order to leverage that position. I mean, it's, it's, it's the most brilliant thing you could, you could do right now. Yeah, and that's why I asked for 450 and got 650. <laughs> right, because, uh, I because mean, insurance companies and people like that are trying to put money to work in bonds. 
And a convertible note is a bond-like instrument that yields you something that, that they need. Like there's a star for yield, anything that yields something uh, that the institutional markets are, are, are picking up. Even if they know that they're going to turn around and put it in Bitcoin, they're, they're, they're going to buy it. I mean, it's interesting. You've seen people calling basically MicroStrategy stock a proxy ETF because they are so exposed. I mean, I don't know that today it stocks up what three times since they did it or something. It's incredible. Yeah. But and he's been very quick to say, no, that we're a software company. <laughs> we're not a we're not a Bitcoin ETF as much as I love this. But I mean that you know we're talking about all the ways that people might want to gain exposure because they're afraid of the underlying asset or an ETF doesn't exist or the proper and that that's been one way that people have arguably been gaining exposure to bitcoins by buying micro strategy stock yeah yeah I, I, uh, absolutely absolutely um but yeah i don't know if i was speculate i i don't i don't think apple would um yeah i i, I could imagine maybe i could imagine into it um, being the right. next one for Tesla, but, but who knows, who knows who's going to like pop up me next. Frankly, God. I never heard of MicroStrategy before they bought Bitcoin. Yeah, nobody did. Right. I don't even know what yeah. they do. Yeah. Business, <laughs> business software, not nearly as exciting as buying a ton of Bitcoin. Yeah. So, and actually now you, obviously your background, we didn't even talk about it, but you were at Guggenheim for years. Right. Um, and today the, they, I, I saw some news, maybe it was yesterday, that Guggenheim has already been buying Bitcoin for clients. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it, that wasn't happening when I was there, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the, it, it certainly has been happening uh, in at least the last few months, if not longer. So, that begs the question that all these people that are sort of talking about it, do you think they're talking their book like they already own it? And obviously, so now they're willing to come out of the, you know, come out from the shadows and talk about this thing as if they're going to buy it, but really they're already there. Look, I, I got to tell you, I, I own Bitcoin for a lot longer than I talked about it. Um, and, I, and I guess just, you know, there was, there was a certain period of time where you just didn't talk about it, right? It was sort of like Fight Club. You, you, <laughs> you bought it, you didn't know anybody else owned it and you were kind of scared to admit it. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but that was, that was certainly the case for a long period of time. Uh, and I'm, and I'm looking, I'm sure there's a lot of people at, at Guggenheim and other places that are, that are portfolio managers that, that, that have, that have owned it as well. Not a lot. I would say some people, you know, yeah. uh, uh, frankly, a lot of the people that, that I worked with on the desk, uh, you know, when, when anytime Bitcoin came up on CNBC or, you know, back in 2013 or 2014, or even as late as 2016, they all made fun of it. Right. They're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's not going to go anywhere. And then you can tell maybe out of the, out of the 10 people on the desk, two were really quiet and they're like, okay, maybe me and that other guy own it, but we're definitely not going <laughs> to say anything. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so actually Mark Cuban recently, totally separate topic, tweeted, tweeted something, which was hilarious because he called it the cryptos, right? He said the cryptos are trading, uh, just like the dot-com bubble, something to that effect, you know, we have sort of the Amazon, Google as the Bitcoin and Ethereum's and everything else will disappear. I mean, do you think that we are in a bubble here and that, you know, people should be focused on the, you know, the safest and obviously the most proven assets here, or do you not think this is a bubble? What's your, what's your opinion on that? You know, the, the great thing about bubbles is they can actually last for a really long time. <laughs> they can get bigger and bigger. Um, and so 
I would actually agree that a lot of crypto assets are in a bubble. And there's something that I like to call the greed trade where uh, Bitcoin has run up and then people are like, okay, well, you know, Bitcoin just quadrupled. Where can I get the next Bitcoin? And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pulling up their Coinbase app and like, okay, Bitcoin was up, you know, X percent uh, in the last year, but oh, this other one, Ripple was only up, you know, 40%. So I'm going to, I'm going to trade out of my Bitcoin and buy Ripple, or I'm going to trade out of Bitcoin and buy Ethereum or you know, you know, just, just name the asset and you just kind of go down the list. And, and that's really the psychology of a lot of people that, you know, that, that, that really haven't focused and understood what it is. And they're just looking at the list and looking at when your results and saying, okay, I'm going to trade out of the one that's done the most and trade into the one that's done the least. And um, it's, it's, it's really interesting market psychology when that happens, but it's, it's the greed trade, you know, you make a little bit here and then you, then you're, then you get greedy and you sell it and you try to make a little bit here and then you get greedy and sell it and try to make a, a little bit here again. And, and look, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these assets can and will keep running despite them being even if they don't have yeah. <laughs> yeah, or people not even understanding what it is. And um, so, you know, I hate to say, yeah, you should sell it right now because uh, frankly, like that's probably an opportunity to make a lot of money. Uh, but I'm a little bit more risk adverse than that. And I'm only going to buy something I understand that I think that three to five years from now um, is actually going to have some kind of some kind of benefit, right? So I'm looking at it from a fundamental perspective saying, okay, which one of these are actual usable assets? Um, you know, if it's, if it's a layer one, I try to think about okay, which layer ones are gonna be, you know, readily adoptable. And, and, and by the way, different industries will adopt it in different ways, right? Uh, you know, Ethereum is actually a great layer one that a lot of people are building on. There, there, there might be better ones. It's, it, it might be outdated technology versus some, some, some newer ones, but uh, when you already have adoption and use, it's hard to get rid of. So it takes something that is marketed really, really well, that's, that's good enough to surpass the technology that people want to pay for and buy and, and, and build on. So, so look, I think despite the fact that there might be better layer ones out there, um, they may not surpass Ethereum. By the way, Ethereum very well could be kind of, kind of fall into the cryptocurrency bucket. Um, right. I, I don't, like, I personally don't think it will, but, but I'm not going to roll it out. Uh, I definitely think it's probable. Um, but then there's some other really good protocols out there. Like, you know, Algorand is a really good example. Uh, yeah. Algorand is probably the most superior uh, blockchain to put securities on, right? And I think that, you know, they're, they're really pushing to be adopted by Wall Street. Uh, so, so, so there's going to be some really interesting things come out in Algorand just because it's just, uh, it's, it's a very simple process just to, just to use their blockchain directly. Um, Nim and Cardano are also working on things that are a little bit similar and working on adoption. Um, and, and, and marketing is important too, right? So you might be slightly worse, but you could, you know, if you, you spend yeah, the right much marketing. better marketing. That's why Ripple, that's why Ripple was, was so big, right? Yeah. They spent dude. a lot of money on marketing. Yeah. And see CNBC with them telling you how to buy shares of the Ripples. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. You know that you're definitely a, have gotten out there. That's interesting though. You talk about the Algorands and these other layer one protocols. Do you think that eventually we see basically all securities tokenized? Um, I, I, I do. Uh, I mean, look, in a lot of ways, a lot of securities are already electronic, right? Sure. And um, 
but I am seeing a really interesting trend where, uh, you know, w once they become, you know, you know, tokenized, so to speak, uh, it allows you to bypass intermediaries, yeah. which I think is is really really important. Um, just just dealing with the whole mutual fund and, and ETF industry myself in the past, and all the layers of people that you had to go through and and pay. You know, and by the time you, you you pay everybody, you know, it eats into your returns. It eats into what what you make as a money manager. Um, you know, if you can if you can start bypassing a lot of that, uh, I, I think it gets really interesting really fast. Right. So, but yeah, circling back around to Mark Cuban's comment, you know, I mean, we we went on a long <laughs> rabbit trail there. I, I think in a lot of ways he's right. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. People are just buying things to buy them, and they're buying. Well, look, stamps.com. Okay really how big is stamps.com ever going to be, right? But it's shooting up in value because people think it's something. It's in the same category as any other thing that has the dot-com after it. And then when the market comes back down to earth and stamps.com stamps crashes again, but it's still still business, right? It still exists. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that the business is any less viable. It's just the asset price has come down from, from where it was before. Uh, there's, there's a lot of companies like that, the dot-com. Dot com bubble, you know, and then there were a few really big ones that came out of it and have dominated, right? I mean, look at Amazon, you know, right? Um, you know, so I mean, I think I think Bitcoin's going to be a lot more like Amazon. Um, and by the way, 2017 I think was the the bubble that burst for you know for for that stage, you know, um, you know things like Bitcoin. Um, I don't think I mean, look, we're overbought, but it's because people want it right now. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't it's think simple it's supply and demand. It's overbought. This isn't like, yeah, people and people are not buying to speculate. They're buying to hold it. Right. Right. And that's a what very different situation. Bitcoin was beanie babies, right? It's like, oh, I got to get some. Yeah, it's really cool. Get those tulips. Right. Now it's like, uh, I better buy Bitcoin because my dollar is going to be worth nothing one day. You know, I'm going to be, um, you know, rolling around in wheelbarrows full of dollars just to buy a loaf of bread. So hopefully that never happens. But uh, gosh, I hope not. Good. That is like the uh, Bitcoin maximalist wet dream, but I don't necessarily see that future here, but we see it all around the world. I just don't see it necessarily with the dollar. But the reason that everything is going up is because the dollar is going down. Like, there's make no illusions that, the, you know, when the dollar is devaluing, that's why stocks are going up. And that's why gold and silver, even Bitcoin to some degree are going up. I'm curious though. So we didn't really talk about like your very long and distinguished history, <laughs> um, uh, but well, you would have to be doing it since you were 10 if we were in uh, diapers when the mini disc came out. But I know you've been doing this for a good, you know, couple of decades, uh, these kind of products. When did you actually find out about Bitcoin? And what made you, you know, give up sort of all of these other, you know, things that you were passionate about, all these other businesses to focus specifically on this? Yeah, so I, I actually discovered Bitcoin in in two thousand nine. I discovered that it existed, oh and it was it was way later that that that, that I bought it. So um, you know, don't think that you know. Well, you couldn't even buy it in two thousand nine or two thousand ten if you wanted to. Um, you you had to have mined it. But um, but I remember back then. Um, and by the way, in two thousand nine two thousand ten, I I was a sovereign credit analyst. So what I was doing was 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 analyzing various, you know, the you know the the credit quality of various countries, right. their currency, and and you know a lot of other things that go along with it, emerging market debt. Uh, that's what I was doing then. 
So I came across it as a potential currency and, and began analyzing it. And my first thought was, you know, this is kind of cool. It's like a, sounds like a really fun kind of money to be used by, you know, developers. Uh, no different than, um, you know, playing World of Warcraft and mining yeah. gold yeah. or, you know, other types of, you know, I was like, oh, that's really cool, but like, this will never be used as money. Uh, you know, the Fed will never allow it. And that was, that was my thought back then. Uh, but, I, but I still followed it because it was, it was super cool. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I kind of got started getting passionate about it a little bit later and actually left the traditional finance world behind in 2016 to, you know, I joined a, you know, a, a early stage FinTech company just so that I could kind of go, you know, dive into Bitcoin and, and, and blockchain in general. Um, it wasn't really until, you know, almost a year and a half later that I decided that, you know, I don't want to be part of a fintech company. I, I want to, I, you know, my roots are asset management. Um, I, I should really build an asset management company that focuses in on blockchain. So, you know, as you said, sort of as we're recording Bitcoin's at 36,000, obviously, as you started thinking about this business, Bitcoin was probably like six to 10,000. How big do you think that this can be? Look, I, I think I think by the end of this year we'll probably triple, yeah, in value. I really I really do. Um, and I and I really base that number on. And when I say when I say triple, um, I think I think within a year, eighteen months, we we could see five hundred thousand. And, and this isn't just some number I'm just throwing out there because I'm like, oh, you know, just, you know, I want to put I'm a number it. out there. Throw them out there. Go bigger. Crazy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's really because I'm seeing what the demand side looks like. And if you do the math on how much supply there is to actually sell and the availability of putting this asset class on the balance sheets of institutional investors that are that are highly interested right now and and the asset managers that I know that will be coming into it even bigger um, that's really where the price has to be just to absorb the demand so yeah a 10x in 18 months isn't you know out just of did it we just did it from March I mean it's a, I mean it was 3800 bucks or 38,000 yeah, right now so I, as much as the numbers seem astounding, it's kind of par for the course for this asset. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Well, and it's funny, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back around to our early conversation about Tesla. Um, man, I don't remember what year it was, but um, so uh, I, I also covered uh, uh, energy and, uh, and focused there. And when, when oil prices were going up towards 100, um, I was basically trading Tesla and my own PA as like a hedge against oil, because actually oil is very hard to trade. I don't right. know. If, uh, you know so, uh, yeah, because trade. yeah, it's impossible. I've and been down that unfortunate road myself before. Yeah. And Tesla is an interesting proxy to, you know, the oil trade. So I, I, I used to trade it and I got caught long Tesla from like 30 bucks to a hundred. Okay, in a very, very short period of time. So I actually sold my Tesla shares and just got out of that trade entirely at that period of time and went and bought a Tesla, right? 
So uh, with my with my with my proceeds, it was great. I would have never imagined Tesla 10x again, right? I was like, okay, well, it might double from here, but that's it. That's 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 all it's doing. Uh, no, I mean, it, I did it, the same. I have the same story. It just goes to show you that, like, and, and Tesla is like very just very underutilized as a as a car and a car company. I mean, I've had mine for over eight years, and it still runs great. Right. Like yeah. I have no desire to get a new car because it's such a good car. Uh, Bitcoin's adoption is, well, is, 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 is so much bigger than what Tesla's adoption was over that same period. So, um, it's absolutely true. Yeah. It's putting, so, I did so, the same thing. Imagine it. Just I can imagine, imagine it. I did the same. I, I can imagine it. Cause I saw it. I did the same thing. I was buying Tesla in the $30 range. Not enough to buy a car, unfortunately. I sold it at like 300 and something. I bought it again at 180, but then when it went absolutely nuts, I sold it between like 500 and 750, kept a little, sold the rest of 1,000. It went over 2,000 and split. Now it's higher after the split than where I sold it. So it's insane. I was happy with my game. Never, nobody ever went broke taking profit, but they didn't buy a fleet of Teslas with their profit either. So, <laughs> um, as they say. So, um, I'm curious then. Where are you guys at in the process? You know, obviously, I know that you think an ETF could be three years out, and it's my understanding that you basically have three years, right, to to get approved. Yeah, there there is a time period to where if it hasn't been approved by then, uh, you do have to withdraw, and then um, we we saw that happen with uh, with several other ETF applications that had had gone out there. Uh, it didn't get approved; it had to withdraw, and. Um, so look, I, 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 I think we'll be well within that. I think we'll be well within that frame. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens, um, you know, hoping for the best. Um, but, uh, but, but, but I do think it's a really, really strong possibility. Um, and I really, uh, I really think it's going to be pretty important for a lot of the adoption uh, that, that we want in, in, in Bitcoin on, on, you know, on the, uh, the speculative end, right? What I really want to see Bitcoin become is a true, a true currency, a true, a true borderless currency between people that disrupt intermediaries. And we really can't, we're really not there yet. We're, it's going to be a long time before we get there. We, 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 we got to see that speculative phase play out because nobody's actively buying a lot of things with the currency if it's 10xing, right? Right. Uh, it's, 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 it's got to slow down it's got to level out and, and it's got to, it's got to be lovely held. And then once that happens, we'll probably see a lot more transactions happen, but that's, that's what I want to see. Right. So if, if you believe that a ETF is a year or three years out, you guys have started a business, you have the trust. What's the advantage of someone investing in a trust as opposed to, you know, going at it? on their own at this point? Because obviously you have a business still that's not dependent necessarily on an ETF being approved in the immediate future. Yeah, well, let me put it to you this way. Um, I, I, we, we have um, a client that is, um, whose, whose whole career is based on in cybersecurity, who is, who has transferred his Bitcoin to us because he doesn't want to deal with the security. Right. I mean, anything could happen. Right. You can you can lose your you can lose your ledger. Uh, it can be corrupted. It can be hacked, as we recently found out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen with just keeping your money in an exchange. 
that keeping your money in a product that is a, you know, it is a security, it's a Reg D security uh, that's, 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 that's regulated, puts the manager on the hook, which is us, and it's held in a third-party custody whose assets are, um, are bifurcated from the rest of the company's assets. So if something happens to that company, nothing happens to the custody over here that has insurance on top of that, uh, that's, that's, that's running their own security and it's big enough to hold their security. It's like, it's like, you don't have to sweat the security side of it anymore. Huge. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, and, and then, and then, and then you might make the argument. It's like, okay, well, you know, I can, I can just trade Bitcoin and move it over to a private wallet and move it back. And it's like, okay, well you enter in, one number or letter that's wrong and it's gone forever. Okay. Yeah. Or you forget your private keys. A lot of people have forgotten their private keys. Yeah, we see there's there's two stories right now. One guy has like two password attempts left to get 230 million or 270 million or something. And another guy is trying to convince his town to like dig up their landfill to find his $70 million on a wallet. Yeah. It's not like okay. these aren't theoreticals. I mean, these are real things. That happened. And is there a, an advantage, you know, with these trust structures, as we kind of talked about with GBTC, like buying through you, is there a discount or, you know, a way to sort of have that arb trade, but not to that same degree? Yeah. I mean, look, that's something that you can never guarantee or speculate on, but, but like we discussed earlier, you know, people that are, that are buying through, through Grayscale and then, and then selling it on the open market once their lockup period's over, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're selling it. Um, if it's Bitcoin at a, at a small premium, and I say small premium because like 12% it's small, yeah. small relative to 200% on Litecoin. Yeah. <laughs> so look, that's definitely an advantage to some people, uh, but it's definitely not something that you can ever promise. Right. Or, or, right. or, or even state, but, uh, right. but that didn't happen anymore. So after this, where can people uh, check you guys out and also follow you? Yeah. So, um, that's a good question. What is my Twitter? Um, I can look it up for you. I follow you, you know. <laughs> uh, what is my Twitter name? It's not anything. I think it is uh, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, isn't that funny? I mean, wow, That's that was a long time ago that I created a Twitter account. 20, 2009, maybe? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was the same. I think you're Stephen McClurg with two Cs, right? S-T-E-V-E-N-M-C-C-L-U-R-G for those who are. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's following that's, along in the audience. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then our website is uh, um, that's a really good question too. What is what is my website? Green, um, put me on the spot. Sorry, man. Make sure <laughs> people can follow you. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, uh, you know what? I think it's ValkyrieFunds.io. Yeah, you're right. ValkyrieFunds.io. You, you, you found people's, it before. The people's champion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a high frequency trader, I have the super fast internet over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see how much of a nerd I am. I'm so busy, like, you know, uh, uh, digging into uh, filing ETFs and stuff that I'm- Who cares okay, about a website. We even have a website? Okay, great. Um, I'm sure somebody's taking care of that. <laughs> and that's, that's why we have, you have people. <laughs> for, for, for things that we don't do our best. Well, man, this is an awesome conversation. I think um, finally had a chance to really get some understanding 
to some degree for myself, but for other people on the importance of the ETF, what that looks like and how sort of all these other products play, play into that. So thank you for giving us that insight. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having, having me on and uh, had, a, had an amazing discussion. This was, this was a lot of fun. And I'm not even going to mention the fact that we're wearing matching t-shirts here to end the entire thing. There's a V-neck though? No, mine's not quite V-neck. Oh, okay, okay, so they're slightly different. Here. <laughs> hey. I can go get my V-neck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, great minds think alike, right? Especially in fashion. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. Let's go.